0: Are you ready? Let's go. Ready. ready. Yeah, ready when you are. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Holden Shepherd, Heidi Anderson, Jan Latta, oh, Alison Patterson, welcome to my little show. Why do you call it a little chat show? Jan Nichols, Sam Icon, Annabelle Smith, Donna Mazza, Rebecca Watson, John L. Fraser, Tracy Jacobson, Adam Wallace, Monique Mulligan, Matt Glover, Karen Young. I don't even know where I'm going with this. Welcome to my show. I have been waiting to have this interview for a long time. It was put off a couple of times, but finally I've had it. I've just had a chat with the incredible Helen Milroy. Now, Helen Milroy is recently, she's named WA Australian of the Year for her decade's of service and pioneering research and education and training in aboriginal and child mental health she's also australia's first indigenous medical doctor and the first indigenous afl commissioner and she served as commissioner for the royal commission into institutionalized abuse she's an artist and a published author as well and she sits on more boards and committees than you can even think to imagine she's an amazing lady extremely talented and her heart is bigger than mother earth it's just she's just absolutely incredible so i talked to her about her books these books here out through Fremantle press also about mental health about childhood abuse about trauma and what we can do as a society and also what you know what what does helen do for her own mental health so she can stay sane I really love doing this interview, and I hope you love watching it, listening to it as much as I had talking to Helen. So let's get to know Helen Milroy. Helen Milroy, thank you so much for coming on my show. How are you going?
1: Yeah, very well, thank you, Josh, and thank you for having me. Um, And hello,
0: everyone. I know you're extremely busy. You're one of the busiest women in the country. And, and I don't know how you find time, but you still manage, amongst all everything else you do, to put out books as well. And it's not just you actually write them, you illustrate them, which I'm, yep. I'm actually blown away. Well, I'm going to quickly want to talk about the Backyard Bugs and the Backyard Birds books for the little kids. How do you, when you illustrate them, do you, what, what, what technique are you using? Is it digital or are you using acrylics? Is it real?
1: Well, I, I was a painter. I used to love mm. using acrylics on canvas, but as I became busier and busier and was travelling a lot, I, I obviously couldn't pack up my paints to take on the plane, so I had to find an alternative, and that's when I discovered the digital art programs. Um, I wasn't clever enough to use something like Photoshop, so I, I found a program called Procreate, and I've been using that, and it's just so easy, and it's yeah. I can illustrate on planes or wherever I am if I've got a spare half an hour and I've got my iPad with me. So all no, I have just, to do is
0: so open it up and... You just do it on your iPad.
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, I draw everything just with my finger. I don't even use a stylus.
0: <laughs> well, you're, you're putting all these other illustrators to shame with their beautiful stylized things, like even, even me. <laughs> Gee whiz. But I'm, I'm just, I suppose it's the it's the vividness, the vivid colors. And, and that's what, because obviously this is for a younger age group. I'm guessing three to six? Yeah. Three to yeah, six? Yeah, little ones. Yeah, yeah, but it's 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 the bright colours that get me <laughs> as yeah. as an adult. I'm going, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm quite happy to read this book. But it, for <laughs> me, it's the it's the sparking of the curiosity for kids is to go out mm. to the backyard to explore. Now, before we were we were recording, you mentioned about you know during lockdown and stuff. It's a great opportunity for kids to explore their own backyard. And this is and this one and this one they're kind of like little field guides, aren't they, for kids.
1: Yes and look they these are all animals or insects that we find um in our backyards or in parks or where you know places that we visit in our neighborhoods red-tailed
0: finch yes a little zebra finch zebra finch yeah 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 i've got mm-hmm. them on my property as well they're amazing yeah. beautiful
1: and I'm- beautiful. And look, the idea was not so much to have a curiosity, but to understand that these are the creatures that live alongside us. And so how do we learn how to live together? It's part of the bigger ecosystem, Mm. which we're all part of. And so for me, it was about encouraging kids not just to go and have a look, but wonder what they're doing and how how come they live there and how can we make their habitat good for them? Because Mm. I think we get so much pleasure and joy out of these sorts of relationships that we have with the natural world. um, that we want to nurture it and make sure it's there forever,
0: and I, I I totally agree with that. It's actually being observant, taking notice, and then seeing the connection between you and what you're actually observing. And and look, it's I'm it, I'm going to be it's a cliche. It's a very indigenous thing to notice everything because your survival depends on it. And it's like ah yes. oh, okay, so that's the way the bird moves at that time of the day, at that time of the season, and it's like. And, and as I know, that normal Western culture, we completely forget that we, we're so disconnected from anything to do like that.
1: And, look, I think at the end of the day, life is all about balance. It's about mm. how we balance out our own lives within our natural environments and within the natural world and all the creatures that live alongside us. So it's really all about relationships. And and what I kind of love even about the birds and the bugs is, for example, if you take the spider, mm. uh, we might be scared of the spider. But in actual fact, if we cleared out all the webs, then it wouldn't catch other insects for the birds to eat. And the little willy wagtail actually uses the spider's web to stick mm. its nest together. Yeah. So yeah. the spider's absolutely essential for the birds, and, and the yeah. birds then produce beautiful yeah. songs for us to it's listen the, to.
0: And it's the interconnectedness of everything, isn't it? There's yeah, the spider. Absolutely. There's Yeah, the yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah. that's why I, I keep going. You know, If there's spider webs in the corner of the house, I say to my husband, leave them there because he's biting, getting the flies and the mosquitoes and stuff. Yep. yep.
1: And I love watching the little waterbirds come into the back porch and pick off all the little moths and things that have been trapped in the spiders web. So it's also a source of food for the for the birds as well. So exactly. you know, I think we're all interconnected. And and I guess my concern moving forward is that we are really losing habitat for some of our birds and some of our wildlife and our insects and whatever. Mm.
0: So maybe
1: our backyards can be sanctuaries. Maybe we can think about how we have places that is a sanctuary not just for ourselves but also for all the animals we have to live alongside.
0: So how does that work then with all these new development, housing developments that are popping up and the houses, backs right up to the, the, the edges of the property. You've got a backyard that's only you can fit a concrete slab and a barbecue and a small pergola. You know, that's, the, that's what's happening with all these developments. The backyard is, not, is non-existent anymore.
1: Mm. So we need to make sure that we do the best we can. And mm. even with a small backyard, you can still have some pot plants or some, yeah. you know, a way of creating a place. And, for example, in summer, you know, birds need water. And so mm. do the bees. And how, mm. what would we be like if we didn't have bees anymore? So even just creating some ponds or, or, or places where birds and animals and insects mm. can, can get some water. And you know, what I was fascinated about with the bees in my backyard was that they were actually drinking at the bottom of the plant pots that I've got down the back. So that was kind of the safe way. If, mm. if they went to the bird bath, they'd fall in and drown, so we had to scoop them out. But yeah, if they yeah. drank from the side of the plant pot, it was safe for them. So even having some pot plants around will create a natural environment um, for everybody.
0: A little sanctuary for nature. I like that idea, Helen. Now, this book Mm -hmm. here, Wombat, Mudlark and Other Stories, now that's for an older age group, isn't it? Can you tell me about this book?
1: Yeah. Okay, so that book I wrote as a series of Stories that that really came from having worked with many, many children and families and also having family myself and, and friends and relatives. And they really are about children's personalities. And because I work in mental health, a lot of children get labelled in a negative way. Um, and certainly, yeah. their behaviours get labelled in a negative way. And I was really seeking to find a, a way that children could see themselves in a positive light, that was very much strength based, that helped them bring out all of those attributes that we we really want to actually encourage. So, perhaps a child that's very restless, instead of them being labelled as you know restless or difficult or a mm. nuisance, maybe they're just a dancer that needs to express that energy in yeah. a more positive way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and so that's why I created these characters so that children could sort of identify with them, have a special and unique place in the world, have a special relationship with the natural world as well, like being able to talk to the sun or sing to the moon or dance with the stars. talk to the flowers too is
0: another thing too, very important, talking to the flowers. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, you know that book came from a, a lot of experience of children and yeah. understanding how they are.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, look, moving into your field with with mental health and you know, it's such a big part of what you do, and I think that obviously that that informs your writing for for things like this. Um, look, how is complex childhood trauma or com- or childhood trauma, how seriously is it being taken by the medical profession these days?
1: Look, I think it's being taken a lot more seriously now than it ever was before, and there's Mm. a number of reasons for that. One, I think we have a lot more evidence and understanding and research about the changes that occur in development, and we've even got to the point now where I think we have a fairly good understanding that some of these changes that happen to the brain for children early on can, can sort of become permanent over time. And uh, unless we get in there and um, help those children actually get back onto a more normal path for development, you know, we're, we're potentially losing their potential along the way. And
0: mm. we know that
1: there are all those early adverse experiences that children may go through, and, and there are a number of different types of adverse experiences. They can lead to things like early ill health, uh, chronic diseases from the health perspective. So it doesn't just have impact on mental health. It impacts mm. on our physical health well. We also know that it impacts on their ability to attend in school and to concentrate and to settle and learn. So all of these things get impacted as well as their social relationships. So Trauma and adverse experiences can impact on all spheres of development, and it can really put children, you know, behind in development if we, if we don't intervene early. So I think it is taken more seriously, mm. but we're still a long way off in having those more comprehensive wraparound services that children need. What we tend to do, which is really unfortunate, is kind of wait until things get quite severe, say, in adolescence when there may be self-harm or other sorts of really distressing behaviours mm. and problems. And then we try and intervene, but that's a little bit late on. Still important to intervene then, of course, because we've got young people with distress. But it would be much better to get in early.
0: Because I because your focus is is, as you said, really on the early years, getting that that intervention. Um yeah. as because as you said, that this the science, well, a lot of the science is in now that the practically the, the, the brain gets rewired, doesn't it? Or wired it in a does. certain yeah. way. So yeah. it then manifests, you know, later in later in life. Yeah. Um because I know I've done a lot of my own sort of, you know, home back home research on childhood trauma and, and its long-term effects, and um, especially the, the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood Experiences. Is that, is that still used as a benchmark these days, the, the ACE score? I think
1: it's still an incredibly important study and, a, and, an, and also gives us an understanding of, of when you have multiple traumas, then your, your risk for things kind of goes up mm. in life, and that, mm. that makes sense. So I think it really is important to understand um, that interaction between different experiences that children have. And you're absolutely right. What what happens with the brain is we have these sensitive periods and these critical periods for brain development. And, of course, we have lots and lots and lots of neural pathways when we're born, and they get pruned at a certain point. And what we tend to keep are those things that get prioritised. And if danger and threat is part of your life, then you're going to prioritise those circuits that keep you safe and help Mm. you to survive. But of course, they can then become problematic later on because if you're always in survival mode, that doesn't that doesn't sort of help healthy development.
0: Does the, yeah, exactly. The um the physical manifestations of that later in life, um, you know, I can know it can lead to health, um, heart problems, diabetes, all these sort. Because of, if your body yep. is is in constant reflection of what your brain is still trying to tell you to do from a childhood trauma, I mean, because I know personally that that um, anxiety is one of the big things that can come out of childhood trauma. And for me, That's making it. that connection, you know, I think because um, you spoke at the, because it was the, the telephone Institute, the, the speech for, let me get it right, the Governor's Lecture, you spoke on the March 25th. <laughs> and that was yep. compelling. Anyone, Google that, and it's just <laughs> fascinating watching. Um, you mentioned that a lot of kids... Even though people go, you've had a traumatic childhood, they should be displaying all the effects of that. But a lot of them don't. They hide it. It, it, it. They squash it down and they and they end up being people pleasers. They end up just appeasing everyone. And the last person they're going to appease is themselves. And that suppression manifests later on in life, doesn't it? And I, I, that was really important because I was the same. Everyone, if, if someone said to, to Josh, oh, you yeah, were the happy-go-lucky kid. And I'm going, oh, I didn't feel like it, but I must have just portrayed it and put that lid on it. And now here we go, you know, anxiety later on in life and all that sort of jazz. So how prevalent is that that covering up for kids?
1: I I, look I think it's incredibly common and Mm. I think that sometimes children they they don't know how to be they don't know how to respond they're they're really grappling what are the most difficult and traumatic circumstances and sometimes if they're quite young they they don't even understand what it's all about
0: Mm. they're not
1: even sure what's happening to them so they survive the best way they can and some kids will obviously have these behaviors which may display distress and trauma but other kids they they just really try to fit in They, they don't want to be identified they they try really really hard to just look normal and that can be really difficult because then people don't sort of necessarily notice that something's wrong mm. and for some and you know my experience also working with the royal commission a lot of people told us that uh, sometimes their way of surviving was to just try and really excel at something so that's what they focused on so instead of thinking about what was happening or the trauma that they'd experienced they tried to focus on something else and kids can be quite good at doing that they don't mm. necessarily process the emotion that's going on they just try and do something to, to help them cope but of course the emotion doesn't go away it kind of comes out later in some other form and and that's the problem is that it doesn't actually necessarily help with recovery might help them to cope at the time which is great Mm. but it doesn't necessarily help with long-term healing
0: yeah no exactly i think what do you find that one of the problems when you talk about trauma people think of it as as like the really big the the sexual abuse the physical abuse do you think people don't include psychological sort of abuse in in those sort of situations or, or parents that have got mental health issues that then reflect back on the kids. Do you find it's hard to get other adults to understand that?
1: Yeah, look, I, I think that the ACES study uh, helped us, I think, a little bit to understand that, that it's not just the really big sort of items mm. that we, we can clearly identify, but there's lots of traumas that can happen in a child's life, even the traumatic death of a parent,
0: mm. that
1: involves both a trauma and a loss. So that's like a, a double effect. And you've got to remember that the children are, you know, certainly the little ones, but they're very dependent on adults around them to protect them and keep them safe. So when things are happening in their environment that affect their mums or their dads or even their brothers and sisters, that can really impact on the child as well. Mm. And I think there used to be a little bit of a misunderstanding. It's it's better now, but... Um, Children who are sometimes in a situation where there was domestic violence, if the child wasn't being harmed, people thought they'd be okay. But if the child is witnessing that harm yeah. to someone else, that's mm. actually, that actually to them feels like it's happening to them because it's happening to someone they love mm. or it's mm. happening to their carer perhaps like their mum. So mm. I think we, we have to see it through the child's eyes rather than putting an adult focus on what's happening to the child and understand what the trauma is for that particular child.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose that's the um, it's the tricky thing is is trying to actually. There are so many facets to to this discussion, though, isn't there, Helen? There's, you know, I try and think about it. How can parents then be better informed about their kids and what to watch out for? And then I think, well, okay. And, I, and I, was, I remember I was speaking to one 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 health mental health professional. I said, "Is it really the is a child not going to speak up about their?" their trauma or what's going on because their parents are the cause of it. And they said that's mainly the case. The child doesn't speak up. And so therefore there's no way of of finding out unless it's a school counselor or something like that. So what what happens in that situation? What what is there an intervention or something?
1: It's a really difficult one. Um, and certainly we had a look at this during my time with the Royal Commission that was looking at institutional responses to child sexual abuse, but we also heard a lot of other stories of trauma mm. as well.
0: Mm. And, look,
1: some children will speak up, but a lot a lot of children don't necessarily understand what's happening. And in in these stories we were hearing about, this wasn't trauma in the home so much as trauma in, in other places where the, the child was, but even the parents didn't necessarily pick it up either
0: yeah. because the,
1: the, the child isn't able to speak about it, sometimes it stays hidden for a while. However, in in a lot of cases, what we heard was that something changed. Mm. Something changed in the child. They either became irritable or changed in their emotion or their behavior. Uh, A lot of children spoke about or a lot of adults talking when they were children spoke about failing at school. Yep. Um, starting to be different. Um, withdrawing was a common one because, of course, when trauma starts to happen mm. to a child, they often isolate themselves. Mm. They often become very withdrawn from people because they can't handle the relationships uh, because it's causing so much stress and they really don't know what to do. So, so often I think we need to understand that if you see a change, then you have to ask, has something happened? Yep. Because if you just look look at the change, say say they're starting to act naughty or be defiant. Mm. If we only look at the behaviour and we don't ask, well, what triggered this? What's behind this? We, we won't actually find that answer. And I think what we tend to do is we stop too soon in thinking mm. about what might be causing the change. But if we're always alert to a change in the in the kids' routine or development, then we're going to be much more able to pick things up on an earlier at, at an earlier stage. And we also yeah. then have to provide that sort of safe place, the safe person for the child to feel comfortable enough to talk about it. What we yeah, al- yes. also heard from a lot of people was that, and we also heard this from some of the, the kids' groups that we we um, mm. spoke to, they said they would test the water, they would tell something, maybe a less dramatic story, yeah. they would see what the response was, and if they got a good response and weren't dismissed, they might go further. So, so the other issue that's really, yeah. really important is you might not have the full story at the beginning. It might just be part of the story. And so often we heard disclosures or, or or trauma is told in a fragmented way. You get a little bit at a time, but you don't necessarily get the whole story up front.
0: And it's it's them trying to tr- find something to really trust, isn't it? And delivering yeah. that trust yeah. to be able to open up. And And yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, and that's why it's such a tricky thing, because as you said, the it, it the it's revealed in, in fragments even the kid's memory of it is, it, is fragmented because the, the, the body and the mind's trying to survive so yeah. it will compartmentalize things and that's why i think you know as find as adults they try and recollect what happened half of them go i don't, i don't know or, or it comes up through a meditation or it comes up through therapy or something like that and it's something they've they've annexed off in their brain and go i don't i can't do with that now but it still informs how their body reacts and how they react to things. Isn't it?
1: It absolutely does. And there's a, there's a coping mechanism, well, it's a sort of more of a defence mechanism, I guess, called dissociation that some children would develop. And and if you think about it, I mean, what defences does a young child have against an an adult, for example? Mm. It might be very hard for them to run away. It might be very hard for them to fight. So a lot of times children really have no other option than to try and survive the experience. And so what sometimes kids do is they sort of like check out of their mind in a way. They Mm. sort of like take themselves off somewhere else, a little bit like daydreaming, so that they can get through whatever they're experiencing and then they sort of come to a little bit on the other side. That, of course, is going to affect your memory and how Mm. you recall things.
0: Mm. But, Mm. of course,
1: then that can become a problematic mechanism later on down the track if it keeps happening. Because every time you feel under threat, you might dissociate which is not healthy then. Well, I,
0: I want to I thank you, Helen, because you've just given me validation of what happens to me. Because as, as a kid, I used to daydream all the time and that was literally to escape what was going on at home. I'd disappear into my thing. But now as an adult, when things get really stressful or someone has a go at me or something like that, my brain just explodes and I can't think. And then people go, Josh, what are you going to do about it? And I go, oh, I don't know. And it's and literally, I, I just I cannot gather a thought together because it's just mm. completely gone. I always thought that something was wrong with me. I thought, "Gee whiz, Josh, you should be smart. And you should be able to come back with a witty response. You should be able to get an action plan going." But no, I just went to mush. And now reading that and having what you said, it's like, okay, right? I'm not the the silly idiot or anything like that. No,
1: no not at all. In in mm. fact, these. It's a very, very common. And what you're really describing is a brain under stress that's been Mm. triggered into a state for survival. And it probably did help with survival. It just becomes difficult to manage later on. And so learning how to manage that, um, some techniques that might help to keep you grounded. And, you know, because what happens with dissociation is you disconnect your feelings from your thoughts and from your behaviour. It's like some people describe being on autopilot. Yeah, It's not quite right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know I know what you mean there. But it's bringing those self-care techniques back yeah. And, yeah. and nurturing yourself and having that, that safe space. But it really is, is starting with the kids now. And, that, and look, that's my, my focus from a, obviously a different angle from yours, but it, it's yeah. trying to get them to have that ex- self-acceptance of who they are plus the awareness of, of them as a, as a human being. And with all the joys and wonders that come with that. So they're better equipped at when things do go wrong, they're able to either talk about it, discuss it, be more emotionally resilient about it. And I think it's sort of with the work that you're doing and trying to get that early intervention that that and then getting all the services around that to come together. So I think what you're saying as well is that. You can have a child who's, who's, you know, maybe eight or something and having traumatic experiences, they're, 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 they're failing at school, something's going wrong, but it's not a holistic approach to how to look at that. It could be, oh, let's diagnose them with ADHD or they've got autism or something like that. Give them some pills, that'll fix it. But that won't.
1: No, not at all. And certainly from my experience, having been in clinical services for a very long time, unless you look behind the behaviours and understand what's driving the changes in the child's world, Mm. you're not going to make the right diagnosis. And unfortunately, when children don't or unable or not asked the right questions or given the right opportunity, you may not find out the real story for many years. And if then you don't find out the real story for many years, you may be on the wrong treatment path. And so mm. it's really really important to always have that in your back of your mind that maybe there's a trauma story here and we always need to be alert to that. Because if, it, if that's the case, then one, we need to make sure the child is safe and protected. And then we need to reestablish what is a normal, healthy, caring and nurturing environment for that child in order to facilitate recovery and healing. And if what? we're not doing that, then we're wasting our time and we're not helping yeah. the child at all
0: yeah yeah I totally agree with you. Look, I don't want to keep you much longer, but just something on a more positive. What can schools and teachers do to be more trauma informed?
1: Yeah, look, schools are really, really important places for kids. One, Mm -hmm. because, you know, obviously, you know, we need our education and we know our education really serves us lifelong. It helps us to achieve in life. And we also know that if kids achieve well by year 12, then it sort of sets them up lifelong. Mm -hmm. So schools are really important places for kids. And often if there's difficulties at home or in the community, schools can be a very safe place for kids. They can have very strong um, and supportive relationships with their teachers. And we heard a lot about that, Uh, kids actually go to a teacher to to ask them or tell them Mm. about something that was wrong because uh, they felt safe in that environment. So I think it's really important for teachers to be alert in the same way as parents, really, that if somehow that kid in your class that you knew quite well starts to change or act differently you got to look behind the behaviour and behind mm. the change and work out what's going on and take a very holistic approach to that and create that space where a child may be able to say, look, I, something's happening, in which case then you can start to intervene. But if we yeah. don't, then we, we do end up going down these wrong tracks for kids, and it's harder to turn things around later on than, mm. than in the early dark, you Oh,
0: know? Look, all you have to do is just look at, you know, I'm going to make a mass generalisation here, but the, the prison population is, you know, if all those prisoners... Were sort of someone listened to them as a kid, you know, what was going on in their life, you might have a totally different outcome.
1: Yeah, and look, if you look at some of the data on kids in juvenile justice, a lot Mm. of those kids, have had contact with the child protection system so we know a lot of them have already had traumatic experiences and they've also started using substances from an early age which tends to indicate Mm. they're doing that out of trauma so a lot of kids in juvenile justice are very traumatized children and I'm not sure that the justice system is the right place for them and if we look at a lot of the adults as well a lot of them haven't told their stories no, no one's yeah. actually listened to their full story. Mm. And had they been supported and had that sort of healing journey as as children, I think, I think many of them wouldn't be in the adult population in prison either.
0: I, I think so too. Um, look, Helen, how do you look after your own mental health?
1: <laughs> well, partly through my creative outlets actually, because um, it can be, <laughs> of course, yes, it can be very traumatising when you're mm. hearing a lot of. Incredibly sad stories. At at the same time, you also get a a lot of rewards working with children. When you see children smile again and get back on track and you can sort of see the difference you can make, that can be really um, rewarding. But it it can be very wearing. So I think that to maintain that kind of balance, you have to see the good side to humanity as well. And you Mm. have to be able to. Be a little bit creative, perhaps. Um, I love the idea of, um, you know, promoting the relationships with nature and building your own sanctuary and, and you know, getting outdoors and being part of that big ecosystem. So whenever I, I talk about self-care and I think about it in my, my own life, you know, I, I I very much needed my own sanctuary. And mm. so hence the picture in the background is actually Uh-oh, part of my you background. Gave,
0: you <laughs> gave it away, Helen. I was going to tell you when it was your real garden. <laughs>
1: Well, it is. It is my real garden. And (laughs) um, so I I wanted to build a forest because I wanted to have all this nature around me. And I think that whatever you put into nature, you get rewarded tenfold.
0: Oh, I totally
1: agree having that focus on a place where I could go and sit and feel safe and nurtured was really important when you're doing this sort of trauma work because sometimes you feel like the world's a dangerous place and you don't really want to have to feel like that. You want to feel safe and protected and nurtured. Mm -hmm. So building a sanctuary. I think is really important when you're doing this kind of work and plus plenty of other sorts of things, keeping up your friendships, doing your creative work. I, I love illustrating the books. I love seeing all the little creatures I might develop and, mm-hmm. and they will become friends sort of thing. Um, so, you know, th- that's all good as well.
0: Fantastic, Helen. Now, look, I suppose my last question I ask everyone now is what lights you up, but um, would that be what lights you up or is it something else? <laughs>
1: i think think what lights me up is is the idea that um, every children every child born is absolutely unique and irreplaceable within our society and our ancestry and our and our nation and if we just put in all we can to support our our well-being the health and well-being of our children then the future will take care of itself and i think about like it really doesn't take us anywhere near as much to intervene well with children and support their wellbeing as it does much further on down the track. So not Mm. only would it actually save us money, we will also have these wonderful, brilliant children who will achieve their full potential. And that's the future worth fighting for.
0: When are you running for politics and when are you going to be the Minister (laughs) for Children? That's what I want to know, Helen.
1: (laughs) Oh, I've got too much on my plate, Josh. I've got a few more books to write and a few more illustrations to do.
0: (laughs) Look, Helen, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to really talk to me. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Josh.